How's everybody doing? Good. I am going to try just to contain my excitement. Uh, I'm just excited about where we're going. Anybody with me on this? Come on. Yeah, it, it's just a good time. Thank you, brother. Thank you. I couldn't do it without you, literally. Um, so, hey, real quick, uh, for your sermon, if you're following along, you want to take the notes, turn to page 30 in your booklet, okay? That's where the sermon notes are, are in page 30, and that's where we'll be uh, hanging out today. But before we get going, I want to just ask you a question. Have you ever bought something and had buyer's remorse? Anybody? Have you ever bought something and thought you were getting one thing, and then what showed up when it came was different than what you thought? Anybody? Uh, okay, this is going to be hard for you to believe, but I'm a competitive person. I, I'm a competitive person. I like to win. And um, even though I don't seem to be doing a lot of that lately. Anyway, um, I'm a competitive person, and there was a season where I just moved to a new neighborhood, and my competitiveness really comes out around the Christmas season, especially when it comes to lawn decorations. I want my lawn to be the biggest, best, most noticeable lawn in the community. So I moved to this new neighborhood, and I said, okay, I got to step my game up because I'd seen the year before my neighbor's lawn was legit. He had tons of stuff. Lots of lights. I was like, okay, I got to step my game up because I have to what? Win. I got to win. And so what I did is I went on the Amazon and I ordered. I started looking and Googling and searching for something. And I found a giant Santa. There was a picture of it next to a house. It was bigger than the house. And so I said, you know what? I'm not going to do any, I'm going to buy this giant Santa and I'm going to put it in my front yard. And that's all I'm going to have. And it's just going to be the centerpiece of the town. And so I order this, and I am waiting. I'm so excited because I see my neighbor putting his lights up and everything. I see he has no idea what's coming. And so I, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, and all of a sudden, I get a notification. It's here. It's here. It's being delivered right now. And I run outside, ready to see this forklift drop off this giant Santa. I walk outside, and there's a box at my front door, box about a foot by a foot. And I say, oh, this must be the blower for the giant Santa. And I open the box, and in it is a three-foot-tall inflatable Santa. <laughs> and it was so close to Christmas, my lawn that year only had a three-foot-tall inflatable Santa. The reason why I say this is because in life, we often can have things where we think something or we think we're going to get something or we hear something and what we get is different. I want to say in the study of Colossians that we're going to be going through for the next four weeks, especially in Colossians 1, what I want to just start off with, when it comes to Jesus Christ, there is never remorse with him. When he says a promise, it is a promise. When his scripture teaches us a truth, it is a truth. When he speaks, things change. We can rely that we will never be let down by Jesus. Amen? We will never think we're going to get something. We can sometimes think we're going to get something that is maybe our will, and think we're going to happen, it's going to happen one way, he'll do it another way. But when it comes to the truth of who Jesus is, we will never be let down. And I just want to encourage you through this next study, we've talked a lot about this book. I want to encourage you to really lean into this, uh, this booklet that you have. 
Get into the daily devotions, get into a group, um, study this together. Like Dan said, I truly think this is something that could stir up something really special in us. But let's start in Colossians 1, verse 15. You guys ready? All right, let's put it up here. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Image is a really important word here. He is the image of the invisible God. Image is important because in the original Greek, there's two different words for image. There's one word for the word image when it's translated that it means kind of a likeness, that it has some resemblance to, that maybe is close to. And there is another word for image, which is the one used in this passage, and it's pronounced icon, icon. And this means the actual manifestation of. When it says image, the icon means that it's actually the fullness revealed. It's not just close. It's not almost there. There's not a slight resemblance. This is saying the fullness is revealed. So when it's saying that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, it's not saying he's like him or similar. It's saying that he is the manifestation, the, the, the fullness of God. That's what it's saying here. And it's interesting because this is an anarthrous construction. That, now, when I, when I say that, what I mean, put this uh, slide back up real quick. Put that slide back. It says, he is the image. The, the word the was added. In the original translation, it would read as, he is image. He is manifestation. He is fully that. The the was added. He is that. It's not close. It's not that he's almost there. It is that he is the manifestation. He is the revelation of this invisible God. What it is saying here is this invisible God. God, it's, it's saying that we are, Christ is the image that we can see God. That he, he makes the invisible visible. That, that he is this image. Uh, when it goes on to say the firstborn here, it says that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. When it says firstborn, it's not just talking about the birth order, it's talking about the supremacy of Christ. That's what this is saying here. That he is the first, he is above all. He is the first. This is, it's talking about his rank, his position, that Christ is supreme over all. That he is beneath nothing. He's supreme. And then in verse 16 it says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. All things. If you, if you have your Bible out or you have the verse in your book, let's circle all things. Make a note of that. All things. Big and small. I think it's easy sometimes to look at a mountain, look at the sunset, but yes, God created that. It's obvious. It's beautiful. It's big. It's magnificent. But we forget about the complexities of his creation. We forget about the small, minute things that he has created. Do you know that a, hu- a, single, a single human chromosome has 20 billion, billion with a B, Bits of information. One little chromosome. 20 billion. That's his creation. And even the small things. It's, and it's interesting, when I read this passage, you read it and it says, all things were, were created, right? Were created. That's interesting because A.T. Robinson uh, did a study and kind of dove into this. 
and believes that the actual translation would be stands created. Not were created, but stands created. What this means, that if, if all things stand created in heaven and on earth, means that Jesus is holding things together. It, it's, he stands in the middle and creation goes around him. It's what it's really saying is the things that we think our universe revolves around. Like our planet revolves around the sun and the solar systems move as they do and gravity, our world uh, revolves around gravity keeping us in place. What this passage is saying is that that is not true, that, that Christ is at the center of everything and it's not the sun as a star that we revolve around but the sun of the living God that everything revolves around. He's the centerpiece. That's what this passage is saying. That everything in creation revolves around Jesus. And he's the centerpiece. And it's so easy for us in life to think that we put our life and what our life revolves around into so many different things when Christ is designed to be the center. The center. Everything stands created on him. If it wasn't for him, everything would fall apart. It stands created. This Christ-centric universe with him in the middle when I was thinking about this this week, I came across a story. There was a story of a pastor who, who was, he was traveling around America on a tour. And he was preaching from town to town and his following was growing and his sermons were becoming more and more famous and, and people were coming to Christ and there was a lot of great things happening but he was getting towards the end of his tour and he was flying home one day. Flying home uh, and he gets to the airport and as he's walking through the airport, a gentleman runs up to him. Hey, I know you. I know you. It's, oh, cool, thank you. They start to have a dialogue. The man says, how's your, how's your tour going? How's your sermons going? I've heard so many good things. How's it going? The pastor responds, well, it's going great. God's doing some miraculous things. I'm seeing people come to Christ in baptism, seeing all these things. And the man asks him, okay, so what are you, where are you going now? What's the next step? The pastor responds, well, I'm actually going home. I'm gonna preach at my, my home church this weekend, heading home. And the guy says, well, what are you preaching on? He says, I'm preaching on Christ and the body. The man lights up. Christ and the body? My study is, is biology. I study the human body and what makes it work. And I wonder in this moment, the pastor is like, I meant Christ and the body of Christ. But he's kind and gentle with him. He says, oh yeah, that's awesome. He's like, no, I study this. What are you talking about? And the pastor talks about how Christ is over everything and, and how he's above things and he's in the middle. He stands in the middle and the body revolves around him. He's like, yes, it does. He's like, okay, whoa. Calm down. He didn't say that. But as he begins to say, he says, okay, but the, the biologist says to him, no, you, you don't know what you're on to. He's like, do you have your punchline for your sermon yet? Do you have your ending? And of course, the pastor had been preparing. He's like, yes, I have my ending. The man looks at him and says, no, you don't. You don't have it. I got it. Remember, I'm a biologist. Okay, what is it? The man looks at the pastor and says, it's laminin. Laminin. Pastor, okay, laminin? 
What's laminin? I have no idea what that is. He says laminin is the protein, the structure of proteins, the molecules in the human body. It's the one protein that holds everything together. It keeps the body together. It, can, it, it gets the cells in the right place and it holds the body together. Without laminin, we would fall apart. We'd completely just fall apart and we would be a, a, a mess. That's great, pastor responds. The guy just gets a little frustrated. No, you don't get it. It's laminin. It's the protein that holds everything together. It's so amazing. We couldn't live without it. Okay. I'll look into laminate. She says, you go home, you look at a picture of laminate. There's your closer. So the pastor flies home and probably on the way there the whole time he's questioning like, should I, should I not? What's laminate? Finally he gets to his computer and he Googles laminate and the thumbnail pops up and he goes, laminate! This is it! This is the best! This is the molecule that holds everything in the human body together. We couldn't live without it. It's the centerpiece of humanity. Everything is built on it. He gets so excited. Aren't you excited? Maybe, maybe if you saw the picture, you would understand why he's excited. Look, this is a picture of laminin, the protein that holds the human body together. This is it. This is it. That's laminin. The center of us holding us together. I don't know about you. I don't know about you. But when I think of this, I don't think this is a mistake. Look, look, this is a picture of laminin actually under a microscope. This is it. That's a picture. Everyone, this is true. This is what holds the human body together. And I don't think this is a mistake. I think we serve a creative God that said, I'm going to make them inside of them. I think this picture looks a lot like that cross. And from the very beginning of time, he was putting inside of us a reminder that Jesus and his work is the thing that holds us together. It's laminin. Colossians 1, 17 and 18. And he is before all things. This is what makes this passage make sense. He's before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything, he might be preeminent. He holds everything together. And he's the head of the body. And he's not just the head of the body where he's over it and we're under it. He's the head of the body where it's saying everything we do as an individual, as the body of Christ, everything we do, we're designed to have it flow from him through us. That's how it's designed. He's the head and everything flows out when it talks about the preeminence in this passage here, it's talking about the authority of Christ, that he's above all, he's the firstborn. It's talking about the order and the rank of Christ, that there's none above him. He's first. And then verse 19. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. 
dwells an important word here. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. But first, fullness. The fullness here, when you look at the, the, the translation of this word, it's saying, it, what it's really saying is that it, the fully God, that in him Jesus being fully God, and then it gets to the word dwell, was pleased to dwell. What this is saying is that Jesus is not temporarily God. He doesn't have moments where he's God-like. He doesn't have moments where he just does miraculous things and he's close to God. This is saying that the fullness of God is permanently dwelling in Jesus, that he is that. But it's really saying, let me put it into terms that might, you might understand. What it's saying is that Jesus is, he was, and he always will be. He, he never will change. He's always been amazing and above all things. And he'll never fail. He'll never break. He'll never break character. He's always God. He always is. And then in verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by his blood of the cross. He's, he's, he's fully God. And in verse 20, it talks about this reconciliation through his work on the cross. By the shedding of his blood, he reconciles the world, reconciles humanity, gives us a hope for eternity, a hope for salvation. Do you ever wonder why? Why? Why does this amazing, big God, who's over everything, who's the top, the leader, nobody is above him, why does he, why does he waste his time with us? Why doesn't he just give us what we deserve when we've rebelled against him? Why doesn't he let us just fall to our mistakes? Why does he choose to reconcile us by sacrificing himself for us? Why does this happen? I had a moment with my daughter this week. I had a moment with my daughter this week where we were driving. It was one of those days where I just had enough. You know what I mean? Like I, 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 it, just, it was too much. And she had done something and she was speaking to me in a way that I didn't think was very acceptable. And I, at that moment in the car, I choose to discipline her by taking something away that she was looking forward to. You know, I say, this is gone, it's gone now. And she begins to just get really angry. No, dad, no! And then she says this line, Give me one more chance, one more chance. And I look back in the car and I say, why would I give you a chance? You've had so many chances throughout the day and over and over again, you've done this. Why would I give you a chance? And I looked her dead in the eyes and I gave her that dad stare while I was driving. <laughs> and I said, do you deserve another chance? Then my daughter taught me a theology lesson. She looked at me with all sincerity. She said, no, Dad, I don't. No, Daddy, I don't deserve another chance. But I know that you love me, and you'll give me another chance if I ask. This is Jesus right here. 
that all of us, how many times do we need another chance and another chance and another chance? And Jesus says to us over and over again, I love you and I died for you. I came for you. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve a second chance, but it's because of his great love that we get it over and over again. Amen, church? When I look at this passage through these five verses here, it really boils down to this. In him was the fullness of God. Through him, reconciliation was offered to humanity and the world. And by him, all things were created. And it was all for him. It was all for him. It was all for the one true God who stands above it all. And he chose this plan to come down and to reconcile us. To give us an option. To give us a second chance. But it was all for him. It's all for him. It was all for the one. Put this, put this line up here. You're gonna hear this a lot. We're gonna say this a lot over the next couple weeks. I want us to say it together right now. Can you guys say this with me? In him, through him, by him, for him. One more time. In him, through him, by him, and for him. This is the truth of Jesus here. This This is what he's saying to us in this passage. That everything was done through him, for him. So what do we do? we respond with submission to his call. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we praise you. Pray that you would just lead us closer to you, that you'd bring us closer uh, just to your heart this week, that you would remind us that our only response to the truth in this passage, our only response is to give our whole life to you that over and over again you've given us chance after chance after chance because you love us and we should respond with a heart posture of submission and sacrifice. Let that be our heart. Let that be our heart. We love you and we praise you. In your son's name, amen.